0: Hey, Margo. Hello, Akram. So, today's rad scientist is actually one of my professors. No way, I didn't know you were in one of her classes. Wh- which one are you taking? It's an African-American studies course that chooses different special topics to cover each quarter. This quarter's special topic is blackness in STEM.
1: That is so cool. So we actually talk about that in this episode. Um, the interview I did, it's a few months old now, so she was just conceiving of the idea
0: when we chatted. Margot, that means you've got an inside scoop on my prof. I need to hear some.
1: Yeah, well there's a lot to know about Chandler Purity. So one thing up front is that she's been a big advocate for bringing your whole self to science. And she started the Black Graduate Student Association at UCSD, basically to build community
2: at a university where students might be the only black person in their program. A lot of us aren't comfortable here, you know? If you have to sacrifice any part of your identity, When you're going into your space to work, you're not doing your best work. End of story.
0: Stay tuned, because this
2: is Rad Scientist.
1: Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how go to kpbs.careasy.org or call 877-KPBS-CAR. Welcome back. I'm just gonna have this rad scientist introduce herself.
2: Chandler Purity, Dr. Chandler Purity, cause I earned it. Chandler is an ecologist among other things. I am a house plant and garden enthusiast a civil rights and science activist, as well as an artist and a psychic medium. (laughs) I'm equally attached to all of those things. Don't put this
1: woman in a box. So Chandler grew up in the Bible Belt. Oklahoma,
2: Nebraska, Kansas, all of them. (laughs) Her family moved a lot, especially in her teens. And if you ask anyone, puberty is the best time to be the new kid.
1: On top of puberty, being the new kid was also hard because she was usually one of the few black
2: students in her new schools. Like, I know high school's hard for everybody, um, but especially like being in that really white space. Ooh, it was toxic, it was bad. I come from a mixed-race family. My mom is white, my dad is black. Obviously, I present as a black woman, but I didn't have any relation to black community to black culture so it was like doubly confusing for me because you know I was wearing my hair straight and I was like doing all of these things to fit in and people were still you know pointing out that I was different like I just remember total apathy about everything in life.
1: But Chandler was doing well in school. It came easy to her. She was planning on applying to top universities, but she says her guidance counselor encouraged her to go to community college.
2: I think he assumed I was poor because I'm black.
1: She didn't take his advice, and when the time came for letters or envelopes to roll
2: in, Chandler got a lot of envelopes. I got into Stanford, Dartmouth, Duke, pretty much every school I applied to. After all of the acceptances, she
1: said the tune
2: at her school changed. Like, they took it and ran, and it was like, oh, we're so proud of Chandler, and oh, look what Chandler's done, and oh, this, and oh, that, and I was like, you am efforts. In the end,
1: though, to the disappointment of her school, she didn't choose to go to an Ivy. Instead, she chose an HBCU, Howard University. Chandler packed her bags and got ready to go to Washington, D.C.,
2: And let me tell you how freaking petrified I was because I always had feared that I would be the black girl rolling up with the black family at the white college. And my reality turned out that like, I was the black girl rolling up to the HBCU with the white family. So here I am on Howard's campus with my mom, who's white, and her sister, who's also white, and they're freaking thrilled. They're like, this is the best place I've ever seen. These people are so beautiful. And I was like, can you stay three steps behind me? Like, it was so embarrassing.
1: After her mom and aunt left, it didn't take long for Chandler to fall in
2: love with her new university. HBCUs are one of the most magical places in the world.
1: All of a sudden, she was surrounded by people of the same color, and she noticed a shift in her mindset.
2: When you are a black student in an all-white classroom, like immediately your subconscious brain does the thing where it's like, Black people are only however many percent of this and however many percent of this, and you have to do twice as good so that they don't think that like all Black people are dumb. And, and all of that pressure like affects your ability to learn. But if you are sitting there and everyone around you is Black, and you're looking up at the second years and the third years and the fourth years, and they're all Black and they all got to their senior year, and you're looking at the alumni and you're like, they look like me and they got this job and they did this thing you know what i mean
1: chandler was taking science courses perhaps because she had been primed from an early age to appreciate biology so i was
2: only allowed to watch Animal Planet and Discovery Channel. So if you're looking for a cheat code to make your child an ecologist, that is it.
1: And one day, in biology class, Chandler stumbled
2: across an opportunity. In lab, there was a flyer on the wall. And it was like, are you interested in science? Do you want to get a graduate degree? Do you want to make $15,000 a year? Yes. (laughs) That's all it took. The flyer was advertising a four-year
1: program funded by the National Science Foundation to increase the presence of Black people in environmental sciences, where they're underrepresented. And being a part of the program meant 20 hours of research a week, summer research experiences, and a contract to at least apply to grad schools at the end of college. Chandler got
2: into the program and started doing science with her cohort. And that was when... Science was demystified for me and that was the moment where I was like, hey, maybe I could do this because I saw girls that looked like me, girls with their hair out in afros, girls with braids, sitting there with stopwatches or like little clickers counting leaves, you know, talking about their boy problems. I was like, this I can get behind. The school year
1: ended and it was time for her first summer research experience. She was assigned to Blandy Experimental Farm in Virginia, a couple hours outside of D.C., kind of in the middle of nowhere. And all of the scientists stayed in a building
2: called The Quarters. The building was, like, painted white. All of the upstairs was screened in. Wooden floors, painted gray, rocking chairs, old rocking chairs... Every room had two bunk beds, very small window, barely any closet. And then a screen door was all we had to close. And there was something about the place where she was staying that hadn't
1: been relayed to her. Blandy Farm wasn't always a laboratory and arboretum. Originally, it was a plantation.
2: But the kicker is that we all stayed in slept in literal slave quarters. So like I slept in a bunk where slaves slept. I left there every weekend, cause like being there, it was really heavy for me. And I don't know if I'll ever process through that.
0: was where she slept seriously called the quarters?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that brings up something else that we haven't discussed yet, which is just like the words that we use to describe science. Um, So you've heard me say doing research in the field, which usually just means doing research outdoors and like not in a well-controlled lab environment.
0: The term did strike me as weird and a little bit off-putting, especially after hearing Chandler's story, because field hands, if you didn't know is what Black slaves were sometimes called when they were working on the plantations.
1: Yeah, I had not thought of that until Chandler mentioned it, so um, I apologize. And there are issues like this in other, you know, subject matters. So I remember learning some electronics during my PhD and coming across the terminology master and slave to describe when one circuit can control another, and that was kind of shocking. Wow.
0: I, I think this is just one more reminder of the historical lack of black scientists and how our presence in science and engineering is not always respected, and this is a prime example.
1: Yeah. Well, Chandler has a lot to say about that, and that's why she is teaching the course about it. Um, when we come back from a short break, we'll hear from Chandler on her experience in graduate school and learn about her research on how variable rainfall affects the plants, the lovely plants of San Diego. So... Stay tuned.
3: Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS, Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you.
1: Hey, listeners. I'm the co-founder of Sassy, which stands for San Diego Science Storytelling, y'all. And we're doing another virtual show in mid-December, and we want your stories. The theme is adaptation, and you don't have to be a scientist to tell a story, but the story should include science in some way. You can find our pitch form by going to sassysandiego.org. That's sassysandiego.org. Thanks, and back to the podcast. Even after that upsetting experience Chandler had at Blandy Farm, She continued her program, fulfilling the requirements, applying to doctorate programs. And before she knew it, she was a grad student at UC San Diego.
2: All of a sudden, I was getting my Ph.D. I was like, whoa, whoa, that escalated quickly. She joined a plant ecology lab because... Obviously, it's clear I have a thing for plants.
1: (laughs) And she has a special affinity for plants native to Southern California like this one.
2: There's these cute little flowers. They kind of look like one green onion coming from the ground with a pop of purple on top. And its common name is blue dick, which is fun for me. But native plants are
1: not the only kind growing around these parts. There are other species that compete for
2: resources, like exotic plants or plants that don't come from California. They mostly come from Europe. They were brought here when Southern California was colonized by missionaries. And they brought over some grasses, invasive ones. Those grasses that were brought over here 250 years ago now cover 10 million hectares hectares of the state of California. That's nearly a quarter of the state. If you ever see a grass that is one single blade growing out of the ground, it's exotic. These exotic grasses live for one growing season, produce some seeds,
1: and die. There are native grasses too, but they're very different. They grow in bunches, and they're perennial, meaning they don't die. The same plant just regrows every year. But the native plants that do best in Southern California are shrubs, like the
2: lemonade berry bush. It has like little pinkish-yellowish berries, and they're tart, and you can like put them in your water and they won't kill you. Folks, please don't try this at home. Neither
1: Chandler nor I will be liable for your vitality. The success of native versus exotic plants is important, both for the health of local ecosystems and also for the safety of us and our homes, especially with the increase in wildfires brought on by temperature rise, AKA climate
2: change. The native plants, like they're woody, they're shrubs, they burn hot, but they burn slow, so it's easier to contain those fires. But these grasses, I mean, it's tinder. It's literal tinder. like it just whoosh. When Chandler started graduate
1: school, California was in one of the most severe droughts in its history. In 2014, then-California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency. Now, drought is bad for agriculture and for wildfires
2: but some people thought there might be a silver lining. So people had this idea that the drought would save us all from these grasses because the grasses need to reproduce every year. So they were like, well, if we don't have water for two years, then the grasses should die out, right?
1: Chandler was measuring this. She was comparing the growth of these plants that were located on the same piece of land. Some plots that were mostly native, right? And some plots that were mostly exotics. And what she saw was exactly as expected. Like, okay,
2: drought's taking away exotics, all good, all good.
1: And the native plants, they were doing fine. Then comes 2017 the state of emergency is lifted as massive amounts of water pour down all over California.
2: It rained like three times the annual average
1: that year. And this gives Chandler the chance to ask a really interesting question. Like, okay, the droughts did negatively affect the exotic plants, but was that effect long-lasting? Or would the return of water bring them back, maybe even with more force than before?
2: I go back. After it rains, she inspects the plots with lots of exotics. During the drought, I could walk on dirt paths between my plots. After the drought, the biomass came up to my chest everywhere.
1: The exotic plants had gone from barely there to the highest levels that had been observed during the experiment. Meanwhile, the native plants were growing at their normal, slow rate. So while native plants might be more
2: resistant to drought, exotic plants are more resilient. Basically, these exotics were laying dormant throughout the drought. They had been stockpiling, basically. So they're smarter than we thought they were. This is not good
1: news in the fight between natives and exotics. And there's cause for concern. One predicted outcome of climate change is even more dramatic extremes of weather. Worse droughts and bigger rainfalls. This might tip the scale in favor of exotic plants, helping to stoke wildfires in the future. Chandler loved her research. She wrote her thesis, she graduated, but her experiences during her doctorate left a bitter taste in her mouth. The month of her first thesis meeting, three unarmed black men were shot
2: by police. Very similar to what's happening this year. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't think. I couldn't barely breathe, you know? And unlike this year where
1: collective pressure and hopefully some reflection led professors and institutions to make statements about the violence, that year, she didn't hear a
2: thing. Anytime a black person got shot, Silence. Everything was always business as usual. That was traumatizing. Being passionate about your science is a privilege and one that most of us don't have. Even though I was studying climate change, I could give a flying about that while there's unarmed black men being killed in the street. Right? That's how I felt.
1: This was one event in a series of many that was a reminder to Chandler of the values and norms
2: within academia. Because let me not be light about it, white culture and the culture that white males have embedded into science is so different <laughs> from black culture. It's just it couldn't be further from it, could, it night and day. Chandler
1: recalls the silence she was expected to maintain in lab spaces and the voice she used for committee meetings or in other, and I'm doing air quotes here, professional
2: settings. I I called it my white girl voice. Professionalism itself is so melded with whiteness that, like, what does science look like if you remove white culture from it? Because people are always asking, like, how does my identity as a Black person affect my science? Like, I've written how many essays on that? But like, how does the whiteness influence your work? That's a systemic, oppressive, cultural artifact. A lot of us aren't comfortable here, you know? If you have to sacrifice any part of your identity when you're going into your space to work, you're not doing your best work, end of story. Chandler also noticed this
1: paradox around teaching, mentorship, outreach. She was both expected and criticized for doing that work.
2: There's this kind of idea that we do like race work and diversity work like for fun, like it's a hobby. But it's not that. It's like we genuinely feel obligated to do this work. The emotional labor that goes in is almost never, no, not almost, it's never acknowledged and it's never compensated. A
1: lot of these experiences in research, at conferences and in grad school, pushed Chandler to write a paper with other researchers entitled, Without Inclusion, Diversity Initiatives May Not Be Enough. In the paper, she urged institutions to create a space where all cultures, all identities, are accepted and celebrated, where the work that promotes equity in science and engages local communities is valued and rewarded.
2: Honestly, if I hadn't written that paper, I don't think I would have been able to continue on because that was all I could think about. The paper was published in Science. It garnered a lot of attention for Chandler. People from all over reached out to tell me, like, thank you, thank you, and I'm just like, Like, I'm glad it got out there, but I'm kind of sad it had to wait for me in 2017, 2018 to happen.
1: And it was bittersweet for another reason, even with
2: all of the accolades. Only one person read the paper and came to me like, is this really how you feel being here? And like, I'm really sorry.
1: It was clear to Chandler that the current state of affairs in academia
2: was not one where she wanted to take part. Honestly, it was my experiences in grad school that made me realize I didn't want to go into academia. And that's a pretty common narrative. Like, I was just done with prostrating myself, with, like, the politics. With research, like, it's interesting, but, like, you know, I feel more... I feel more needed at other places. I really pray that science will be a place one day where I can feel like I'm helping people. But that day is just not today. In spite of all of these
1: experiences in grad school, Chandler doesn't regret her decision to finish her doctorate.
2: I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Uh, I'm the first person in my family on either side to get a PhD, white or Black, so that was really big. I mean, it might sound silly, but like, as a young Black woman, I felt like the only way I could get people to listen to me was to have those letters behind my name. I'm really glad that I have it, and like, I get to teach now, which is the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. While Chandler
1: may not be part of academia in the traditional sense, like being a research professor on the tenure track, she is an adjunct professor. After graduation, Chandler continued teaching at UC San Diego. This fall, she's teaching two courses, environmental science and a new course that explores the intersection of race, racism, and science. That's the course Ikran is taking. I've titled it Blackness and STEM, a Complex Relationship. And there is no shortage of topics that Chandler wants to cover, from biased
2: AI to eugenics. Like science created racism. How about that?
1: So I'm sure after hearing Chandler's intro at the beginning of the episode, you're probably wondering, when do we get to the part about her being a psychic medium? Uh, Well, that time is now. Uh, And it's a general turn that Chandler has taken into exploring
2: methods of relaxation and healing outside of science. You know, in grad school, everyone's asking like, where are you applying? What are you doing next? And so all of that just started to, like, build and, you know, make me super, super anxious. And uh, that is when I found tarot cards and oracle cards and crystals. I got really into crystals. And some people are like, wait, you're a scientist. How can you believe in all this voodoo voodoo? But one, science is not infallible. Science is not a religion. Science is not God. You know what I'm saying? Like science, good scientists know that we don't know much we can call it the placebo effect, right? So if I believe this crystal is gonna make me more confident when I'm speaking in my committee meeting, then I'm gonna be more confident speaking in my committee meeting.
1: When you ask Chandler
2: what she does, who she is, she'll give you many answers. So I don't like to say, like, oh, I'm a scientist. <laughs> because I am, but I'm so many other things, you know what I mean? At my heart... I'm a healer. I'm a creative. I'm an artist. And that's the point.
1: She wants us to stop pigeonholing our identities within the ivory towers. That's part of the culture that says there's no racism in science, and science isn't political. Let's move on from that. That's the end of this episode. Now it's time for Here Are the Words You Need to Know Today with Ikran Ibrahim.
0: The words of the day are code switching. Originally, it was meant as the action of switching between two different languages. However, in the 70s, it began being used to describe when people of color, especially black folks, change their behavior or manner of speaking to conform to white standards of professionalism, like when Chandler uses her white girl voice.
1: Thanks for that lesson, as always, Ikron. Rad Scientist is produced and written by me, Margot Wall. The assistant producer is Ikran Ibrahim, and Elisa Barba is the editor. Our theme guitar riff is by Grant Fisher, logo by Kyle Fisher, no relation. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director, Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator, Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is director of programming. Additional music was by Blue Dot Sessions, Chad Crouch, Daniel Birch, Modus, and Poddington Bear. This show is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. On the next episode of Rad Scientist, Dr. Austin Coley shares his love of the brain.
2: The prefrontal cortex is amazing. I love cell physiology, and I can't even figure out why (laughs) to this day.
1: (laughs) Keep an ear out for that episode, and until next time... Stay rad.